Hosea chapter 11 and Titus chapter 4. If you wouldn't mind to, oh sorry, Titus chapter 3. There's no chapter 4. <laughs> so if you'd like to uh, turn there in your Bible, Salam, and read along. So it's Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. God's love for Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bowls, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. They did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, I bent down to feed them. And then if you'll turn to Titus. And we're going to read from Titus 3, 1 to 7. Saved in order to do good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At a time we were foolish too, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen. I'm so excited. Uh, today we've got one of our mission partners, uh, Prison Fellowship, joining us today. So just to introduce Peter Holloway, the CEO of Prison Fellowship. Peter, do you want to come up and we can open in a bit of prayer for you? Thanks. Father, we thank you so much for Peter and his team and the work that they do in our prisons and in the system that seems so broken. Thank you that they bring your holiness and your love to the people that need it, Lord. We pray you'll bless his words today and bless his message. And may our spirits hear what you have to say to us today, Jesus. In your holy name, amen. So lovely to be with you this morning. Please excuse my voice. I've been talking too much. Those who know me well will know that it's a perennial problem. It doesn't go away, but um, we'll get through this morning. Don't worry, I will continue. Um, It's such a pleasure to be with you and such a pleasure to be with people who do partner with us uh, in Prison Fellowship. The title for our time this morning is God is Kind. God is Kind. And as best I can, I'd like to do a couple of things with you. I'd like to to really convince you that God is kind. You may say, well, I know that already. Of course God is kind. Well, let's see how we go along the way, shall we? And if you're already convinced of that, that's good. Job one is done. 
Secondly, I'd like to encourage you that you are made in God's image. And so if you are made in God's image, then you are inherently kind. Sometimes for me, that means a bit of digging and a bit of asking the Holy Spirit to bring it out. But that's part of us. And we're going to talk a little bit about practical kindness at the end, what that might look like. And at the beginning, right now, I've been asked to give you a little update about prison fellowship, particularly since the pandemic and what's been going on, because I know you know generally about what we do. The start of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes, I thank God for you every time I remember you. In my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership from this day until now. And those words, as I visit churches like yours, often come to my mind as I'm driving. Because you are our partners in the gospel. You partner with us to make the ministry that we're involved with possible. Without it, we can't do what we do without your prayers prison fellowship wouldn't exist i really believe that we were founded in prayer 40 plus years ago and we pray all the time and we stand on your prayers so before i say anything i want to say a huge thank you to you for all that you do being partners in our gospel the last time i visited the church was pre-covid um and in those days, as we do now, we did our wonderful Sycamore Tree program, which is all about restorative justice and victim awareness. We did our Angel Tree program, which is about presence at Christmas. We did our Letter Link program, which is writing to people securely to give them a friend um, if they don't have one, and coming alongside chaplains in prison and working with them pastorally in everything they do. And we still do all of that. That's the great news and more. But when COVID came, the door shut. I remember it very clearly. March the 20th, 2020, I got a letter from the Chaplain General of Prisons and it said this, no volunteers are to go into prison, full stop. None across the whole. Can you imagine what it's like to be somebody in prison and for that to happen? It wasn't just about us as people ministering, that was everybody. Now I know we all suffered in lockdown but that's what happened to those in prison. And for us as a, a ministry that go into prison, we had to take a choice. We had to take a choice as well. Do we just stop? We can't go in. We can't do anything. But of course the answer was no. The answer was we do the thing that we've always done. We pray. And so we gathered everybody, as many people as willing, on a massive Zoom call across the country. And we had a couple of hundred people every couple of weeks praying for our prisons. And you know what? It was a fantastic time. And the wonderful thing is those prayer meetings are continuing after three years. We've got this massive prayer meeting of up to about 100 people now and post-COVID praying every few weeks for people in prison. That was the first thing we did. That informed everything else we did. <clears throat> we were enabled by the prison service to put together a thing called Prayer Line, which enables every single person in prison to call free and to leave a prayer request. And then our wonderful volunteers pray that prayer for them that day within 24 hours and then for the whole of that following month. 
We also were enabled to produce Bible study sheets, a really simple sheet of paper that goes in every single week to the prisons across the whole of England and Wales, and any person who's willing to receive it in their cell gets a Bible study sheet, a different one every week. That started off as a two-month project three years ago, and we're still writing them. You know, COVID has done some awful things, but for us it's done some marvellous things in our ministry as well. It's opened some doors that we never had before. And lastly... Because of the busyness of our prisons and all the difficulties that's going on, our chaplains are really overworked and very stretched. And so we, as a third sector ministry organisation, have been asked to provide somebody in every single prison to help with pastoral care. What a privilege. I mean, it just blows my mind that we have that privilege to do that and to come alongside our other chaplaincy work in prison and do that so in this period we've not only done those new things we've grown our angel tree program producing and giving about 5,000 presents to people in prison our amazing volunteers like Jean and Chloe and others I'm sure who are here have got sycamore tree now back in more prisons than we did pre-covid that's nearly 60 percent of the prison of the prison Um, system have got our sycamore tree program based on the life of Zacchaeus and that transformational encounter that he had with Jesus that marvelous that that is going on do you know it is the biggest restorative justice and victim awareness program in the whole of the prison service not just in terms of ministry the biggest RJ and victim awareness program in the whole of the prison system and it's being run by a Christian organization That's the favour that we have at the moment in the prison service. Last week um, was the end of prisons week and we prayed and we asked the church to pray during that week, particularly for prisons. Can I ask you to keep praying? There is so much opportunity in our prison system. And if you think that, "Mm, that sounds interesting, speak to somebody about it. Go on our website www.prisonfellowship.org.uk click on the volunteer link how to find out more and just start and see where God leads you you can be amazed where he might lead you anyway let's return to our word for today shall we so I wanted to convince you that God is kind one of the interesting things when I go to preach is I've, I've this is my my, my talk for this season, I've, and you're, you're the second church that's had this talk. And quite often the churches say to me, oh, would you like to choose some songs? And I think, oh, I don't know, which ones will they know, blah, blah. And I thought, you know what, I can't think of any songs that talk about God being kind. I can think of many about Jesus being kind. If you do a search on Google about God being kind, lots of results will come up. I think, great. You look at them, what do you find? Have a guess. They're all about Jesus. And that's why I want to convince you that God is kind. I always like to start at the beginning in the words of that great theologian, Julie Andrews. Let's start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. Books often introduce their characters at the beginning, don't they? And it's the same with the Bible. The main character of the Bible is God, of course. And at the beginning... 
God is introduced to us. And first of all, we are told about his character and we're told he is powerful. We read, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We're told that he speaks words and things just appear. He is that powerful. And from those verses, we also know that he's relational. He wanted people kind to be with him, man and woman. He created them both. Notice that, both in his own image. We are all made in God's image. Remember that, we'll come back to it. So we know from the start that he's powerful and we know that he is highly relational and he wanted to be with us. Quite often then we skip along as preachers to Genesis 3 and we're told something else. We're told that God is holy and we're told that he is cross with us because we've done wrong and he kicks us out of the house. Well, kicks us out of the garden, actually, because he's that fed up with us. And we miss a little verse that I want to draw our attention to. And it's this verse. It says this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife to clothe them. Why do I want to stop there? For me, it is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It is a beautiful image of a kind God who looks at Adam and Eve and sees their fear, their hiding. They've got those things that they've made out of fig leaves. I can imagine this would be quite comical. They've sort of grabbed some leaves and hastily made something to cover themselves. The Bible says they were naked and afraid. Now you know where that phrase comes from. They were naked and afraid and God made. Now, in the other times in the Bible, in creation, we hear that God spoke and things happened. In this verse, it says he made them. And I think it is a simple picture of somebody sitting down and sewing garments for me it's a feminine picture yes of course men can sew but actually up until about a hundred years ago it would have been women that always did the making of clothes and so we have this marvelous kind feminine image of God in his kindness covering their shame Let's step back again. Why is it that sometimes perhaps we don't think of kindness when we think of God? When we think of Jesus, we always think of kindness and love and graciousness. But we've been told when we think of God to think of purity and justice and holiness and sometimes love and grace. Whilst Jesus is portrayed as our loving, kind, healing saviour, God is often portrayed as cross dad in the background upstairs don't know about you I was brought up in a certain age and one of the phrases that I most feared in my life was wait till your father gets home because dad was strong he was a boxer 
still alive. And if I got a mac from him, it hurt. Mum could wield the wooden spoon, but it didn't really hurt. She wasn't that strong. And I think sometimes God has been portrayed to us and we have these images of a combination of Father Christmas and Zeus. Father Christmas, why? Well, because he's got a list and he's checking if we're naughty or nice. And Zeus, because there's this God stomping around in the heavens, sometimes throwing thunderbolts at us because he's cross with us. And I think the problem with that is it's a contradiction and some of us think, hmm, that can't be quite right. Because we have a Trinitarian God, we have one God, and God is God. And so God must be kind. Let's look at the life of Jesus. Always a good idea for Christians, I think. And I just want to very quickly go through some of the pa- passages that tell us about God's kindness. Luke 10, the parable of the good of Samaritan. Luke 8, when he reached out and touched the leper, giving up his own status, his own cleanliness, so that he would be kind to that leper. Jesus destroying his own social status by going to the house of Zacchaeus and eating at his house in John 4, the tender way in which he spoke to the woman, again someone he wasn't even supposed to be near, let alone speak to, and bringing her into his own um, orbit. Luke 8, seeking out the woman who had touched him, not just carrying on walking in this massive crowd and saying, who touched me? Because he wanted to acknowledge her. He wanted to be kind to her in all of that shame that she was feeling. Luke 22, when he stopped to fight, even when those around him were being so angry and violent towards him, and Peter had taken the sword and cut off the ear of someone who was inflicting violence against Jesus, what does he do? He stops and he heals that servant. Matthew 14, Jesus had concern for their hunger. He could have said, go off into the villages and find. That's what the disciples were saying. Go and find your own food. It would have been perfectly reasonable. It wouldn't have even got a footnote in Scripture because we wouldn't have noticed it. And yet, Jesus sees it. He sees their hunger and he wants to be kind to them. And don't just think this in the New Testament. Genesis 18, Abraham shows hospitality to his three strangers as he was required to do as part of his godly culture. Joshua 24, Rahab who hides the the Israelite spies. 2 Samuel 21, when King David spares, and I can never say this, Mephibosheth, that one, his life and provides for him it goes on and on and on even written into the jewish culture in the way they were supposed to treat poor people not harvesting to the edge but allowing them to take that food as they needed it throughout the life of jesus we see a beautiful expression of love and kindness it's woven through everything he did And we also see it as God is portrayed in the Old Testament. Here's a bit of critical thinking for you. Do you like critical thinking? I'll put two statements together. It's this one. God is love and love is kind. 
what's the, the inevitable conclusion from a critical thinking point of view that comes next? You've got to, if God is love and love is kind, then God has to be kind. It's impossible for those two statements to stand without the third also being true. God is kind. And I believe it is written throughout the history of the Bible, woven through like a lovely golden thread. So why is it sometimes, I keep coming back to this, what is it about the way we view God and Jesus and that slight separation? I think it's because of the fact that sometimes we just focus in on one thing. Let me tell you what I mean by it. We often, for example, say we are saved by grace, full stop. We are, I believe it, absolutely, totally. However, there is an and. And that doesn't stand alone. It's a bit like saying, I once lived in Switzerland. That is absolutely true. But I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a very avid follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm part of prison fellowship. I'm a fan of classic Triumph cars. Told you far too much about myself, haven't I? All of those things are true. One of my favourite Christian authors says that we have taken orthodoxy over orthopraxy. Now, what does that mean? What's orthodoxy about? Orthodoxy is all about this. It's all about the things that we think about, the things that we know. Orthopraxy is not something, and it's what's, what's quite interesting is, most of you will know what I meant when I said orthodoxy in the church. Many of you will not have known what I meant by orthopraxy. Because what it means is what we do. And that are both contained in the Bible, as James reminds us very, very often. We can't take orthodoxy over orthopraxy. They are both important. They are both vital. But, you see, it's a bit easier to stick here because it doesn't require as much of me. I can sit very happily with lots of lovely thoughts about Jesus. I can praise him and I can do all kinds of lovely things in my head. But he doesn't require anything of me. Not one thing. But the Bible says that is not where the deal is. And so if we look at the way Jesus lived and everything he requires of us and the way we're supposed to respond to his love, it's very difficult to not think that kindness is a high priority for God. It's very easy if we just leave everything in here. But if it moves to here and then it moves to here, it's much more difficult. And I think the other thing about here, and I think it's particularly true of my generation, is that we spend a lot of time screaming at each other either in church or over social media, about what's in here and not getting on with the doing. 
what a waste of time. I see a lot of my friends on social media just screaming about ortho, um, orthodoxy, about what it, how it should be in the church, screaming about points of theology over, over social media, being very unkind to other people. What a waste of time that is. Let's get on and do something. Let's get on there and follow Jesus. Let's get out there and show that kindness to other people. That's how they will be brought to know Jesus. I was in prison once. I'm going to do, take a little diversion here and then we'll come back to close. Don't worry, we're nearly there. I remember it very well because it was uncomfortably hot in this prison and I had been asked to help facilitate a sycamore tree course and I was doing the whole six weeks, which is unusual for me. Usually I just get to do one or two as I'm visiting. So I was really looking forward to this. And as I got in, this, as I got in there, there was a young guy over there and his name was Stephen. And he was a bit on his own, so I went over to chat to him. It was week one of the course. And I started talking, and straight away he started telling me why he was in prison. If we don't ask that, it's up to people to tell us their story, if they want to. Stephen was a young man, can be no more than 25. He'd been out with his mates on a Saturday night. He was very proud of his new car that he just got. And out they went for a drive, and guess what? He drove too fast. He hadn't been drinking. He was just driving too fast, showing off a bit with his mates with his new car. A woman stepped off the pavement, and she was killed. And so he's in prison. He has no idea why he's there, really. Just a young guy. He was a young guy who had a faith, as it happened. As he spoke, it was very difficult not to be drawn to tears because I thought it could have been me. I wasn't quite so careful when I was young when I drove. In fact, sometimes I was very uncareful, if there's such a word, when I was a young man. I thought of my son. Praise God, he's a very careful driver. As long as there isn't so much of a difference as when I'm in the car and when he's on his own. I believe he's a very careful driver. Could have been any of those. The compassion in me was very easily drawn. But in that room also, as we started to talk, and somebody came along on week three and told their story about being a victim of crime, there were two other men. Their story wasn't quite the same. Their story was about somebody they had beaten to death. Their story was about some innocent man who they'd met. He'd been down the pub. They mugged him. They wanted his stuff. But they were drunk too. They were high on drugs. And that wasn't enough for them. So they threw him into water. And because of his injuries, because he was unconscious, he died. And they didn't really seem very sad about it. And I confess, my compassion towards them was not very high. Upon whom are we willing to see God's kindness given? The first guy, Stephen, or the other two? 
because that affects the way we interact with other people as well. It was very easy for me to be kind to Stephen because I could take his place. The other two, I found it very difficult to take their place. And yet God says to me, you must show the same kindness, the same compassion, the same love, the same grace towards them because I do, God says. I show them the same love, compassion, and yes, kindness. A dear friend of mine who's worked in prisons a lot longer than me says this, which of us would like to be known by the worst thing we've done? I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't like it even written on that screen once. We're not known by the worst thing that we've done by God, by our Saviour. We're known as images of him. What if godly compassion was a given? What if it wasn't earned? What if it wasn't something that we gave in various degrees to people as we thought "Mm, they deserve more, they deserve that? What's this deserving thing? There is no deserving thing in God. God's kindness, his love, his graciousness overflows abundantly to each of us, every single one. But I hear you cry, it's too hard because that person did that to me. Yeah, I know it is. All I would say to you is, What I have found, and I have not lived your life, so I dare not say that you must. But what I have found is, as I have asked God to put compassion in my heart for those who have hurt me, he has done so. But it's a daily job, every single day. Compassion selectively applied to those we consider worthy is not compassion at all. It's self-preservation. Because you see, Stephen could be me. So what I'm saying is, God, show compassion on Stephen because actually that's me. Because I, I, I can sit in his chair. It's not love. It's not God's kindness. It is compassion. And if you're troubled by this word kindness, it's not very biblical, is it? Let me just read Titus and look at verse 4 for you. It says this. But when the kindness, there's that word, of love our God and Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. Wow. In that book, the writer, Paul, I believe, is saying that our salvation, Jesus appearing for us, is the kindness of God. Those are the words that are used in the Bible. When the kindness of God appeared. Extraordinary, isn't it? At the very center of our gospel... 
is the word, the kindness or the love of God. In Galatians 2, and we're coming to an end now, 22, sorry, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, they tell us about the fruit of the Spirit. And the word kindness in Galatians 5.22 is from the Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm told authoritatively from the word Christos. And this word, I'm told, has, a, has the meaning of a softness, a mellowing. And that's what God wants to do in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. He wants there to be a softness, a mellowing, a kindness towards those that we meet. And the implication to me is that we need the Holy Spirit to help us in those places in our heart where they're still a bit hard. Where that kindness, do I have to? Do I have to with them? Can't I just speak to somebody else over coffee? I just go over there because, you know, they do wind me up. I just want to list six ways for those that you like a practical end to your talks. What does kindness and God's compassion mean? It means having an attitude of love always to other people. Why? Because you leak. Do you know that? People tell what's in here. What comes out of here is about 50% of the story, maybe 40 actually. Most of it is what's here. It can mean the simple kindness of an unreciprocated smile. That person that is always a bit grumpy, you think, maybe actually they're going through a lot. I love the Bible, it's so practical. Romans twelve eighteen says, as far as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You're not required to make them love you or for them to be kind to you or for them to live at peace with you or for them to be in love with you. What you which is required of you by God is that you love them and leave the rest to God. Thirdly, it always means being using kind words. A simple sentence can make someone day. I have literally spoken to people in prison who have said one sentence from someone in prison changed the way they thought about life. A kind word to somebody can be life-changing. Fourthly, this is a toughie for some people I know, it allows... It means allowing others to be wrong. What? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Do you know? It doesn't matter that they got it wrong sometimes. It matters if they're going to run into the street and kill themselves. Of course it does. Most of the time, you don't need to correct them. Sometimes, you know what? You don't even need to correct their theology. Their relationship with God might be a little different from yours. Fifth, kindness can be simply giving some time. And that could be just sitting down next to someone in silence and doing no more than that. And lastly, of course, kindness is about our actions, what we choose to do and not to do. Jesus chose to feed those 5,000 people because he was kind 
and because he loved them and because he knew that they were hungry. So in closing, I want to do as Paul does in Hebrews 10. He says, I want to spur you on to greater things. I want to spur you on to love and good deeds, as he puts it. I know you to be a loving church. You know, not every church can get their head around loving people in prison, but you do. And I thank you so much for that. I believe that one of the greatest challenges in the 21st century is not being loving. A lot of churches say, welcome, you're loved. Hmm. When you walk in, sometimes that love is sort of written in a certain way and it doesn't feel always kind. I think having a kind church in the public place, a church which really shows God's love and compassion, which is full of kindness, is one of our big challenges. Because if people see that, they will come in. I want to finish just talking again about our lovely volunteers who go into prison. I sometimes talk about our ministry as the ministry of turning up. It's as simple as that. If you have a friend who is in need and is in difficulty, the ministry of turning up can be what they need. Just saying, hi, I'm here. You might get the door slammed in your face. Sometimes that happens because people, they're just too sad or whatever it is. They might not be able to accept that, but it's still be an act of love that sits here. And when people from Prison Fellowship and other ministries go into prison and they turn up, and what are they saying? They're saying this, you are worth me turning up. You are an image of God made just like me. God loves you and I love you with his kindness as much enough that I have taken the time to drive here, to go through all the pain of coming into prison, to do all that rigmarole and to come in and to sit with you and to smile at you and to say you're loved. Whether you are someone who goes into prison, that may not be your calling, and I bless you in whatever it is. Your calling might be to your street. So give that smile to that neighbour, to be kind to that person who really needs it, so that the kindness and love of God will appear. Let's pray, shall we? God of grace and truth, all loving and full of compassion, give us the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ and the compassion of Christ, that we may show your love and kindness to the world. To people in prison, their families, those who work alongside them and in wider society. You created every person in your divine image. Help us to see that image in those that are in prison and those that are around us, even in their faults and their wrongdoings. Our Saviour Jesus, you came to earth and lived as one of us, 
the human one. Even as a prisoner, you lived condemned to death. Thank you for coming, not just for some of us, but for all of us. Oh, Jesus, you wept with those who were grieving. You touched those who were shunned by others. And you received others who were turned away by society. Show your presence to the lonely. Show your comfort to the grieving. And to the hopeless, bring your everlasting life and joy. In Jesus' name, we ask all this. Amen.